All right. So we are talking NFTs, Web 3.0, and crypto. Uh, I'm guessing neither of these two need any introduction, but uh, I wouldn't be doing either of them justice if I didn't introduce them. Uh, obviously, Emily Choi oversees kind of all the operational functions at Coinbase as the president and COO. Uh, previous to Coinbase, uh, she spent more than eight years at LinkedIn as the vice president of corporate development. Uh, and before that, she was at Warner Brothers and Yahoo. Uh, and her local connection is she's also on the board of ZipRecruiter, which we love. So big round of applause for Emily. Let's get the energy up. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Can you tell this is going to be a fun paddle? Gosh, it's like someone died in here. Jesus. And my voice sounds awful. I've been talking too much. All right. Uh, and some of you might know Paris Hilton. Uh, I'm told she had a low-key wedding and has an incredibly smart uh, and adorable husband. Uh, she runs her media company, 1111, which sits at the intersection of content and commerce. Uh, $3 billion in revenue right, pro in products, Paris. Uh, TV production company with Warner Brothers, an audio business with iHeart. Uh, and a lot of you have probably seen uh, her latest passion is uh, fighting for the troubled teen industry and introducing federal legislation, which is very near and dear to her heart. And as it relates to this conversation, uh, I think some people call her the queen of crypto. Uh, she was number seven on Fortune's list of 50 power players in the NFT space. So we have two very good people. So one more. All right. All right. Let's start with some icebreakers here. So who in the audience owns crypto? All right. Is anyone in the audience a crypto billionaire? <laughs> All right. Uh, how many people own a Coinbase account? Mike, you don't have a Coinbase account? No, just kidding. I didn't mean to pick on you. All right. But everyone should have a Coinbase account. Uh, so let's see. Who in the audience owns NFTs? All right. Keep your hand up if you have a crypto punk. What about a bored ape? All right, all right. And the last question is, how many people are like me and find crypto and NFTs very intimidating and are always humbled? All right, definitely me, definitely me. All right. Um, so let's start with you, Emily. How did you get involved in the crypto space? Thanks for having me. Um, so I started my career at Yahoo, as you mentioned, in Silicon Valley back in the day. And I think most of you probably won't believe this, but Yahoo was the epicenter of all things consumer internet at one point in its history. Um, and I got to work with incredible people. And I just knew that I always wanted to be around really smart technology people. Um, and I ended up then going to business school and then came to LA to work at Warner Brothers, as you mentioned. And then I worked for eight years at LinkedIn I joined when it was private and 400 people. I left when it was 13,000 people, public, acquired by Microsoft. And I kind of honestly felt like I was getting a little bit too comfortable. Um, like I wasn't pushing myself very hard. And so I wanted to be in the next big tech frontier. And I met Brian Armstrong, our CEO and founder. And I still remember the day. It was like a rainy day. We were supposed to take a walk. We couldn't take a walk because it was rainy, and we just huddled in this conference room, and he started talking about crypto as the next form of money, crypto as the next form of financial system, crypto as the next form of internet and app store. And I had tingles down my spine. I was like, I have to be a part of this, even if I don't fully understand it. And so I joined four years ago, and it's been 
amazing. Cool. Thank you. Uh, and Paris, pretty well documented. You've been there from uh, the beginning, just like Emily. You want to talk about your journey, starting with crypto and, and obviously NFTs? Um, well, I got interested in crypto back in 2016. I was in Berlin, and I had dinner with the founders of Ethereum, and I immediately was just really interested and fascinated by what they were talking about. And they were talking about blockchain and just... I just, I don't know, I've always been someone who's been really forward-thinking and an undercover nerd and just really into anything that has to do with the future. And um, then from there, I was doing my documentary, The American Meme, and I got myself mapped for an avatar, and I came up with this whole idea for this world where people could come and be their own avatars and so socialize with each other from anywhere they, in the world and that I would be there and DJ for them and have a party. And, um, you know, this was many years ago and now to see this coming to life is so exciting. I've built Paris World inside of Roblox and that was amazing. I did a New Year's Eve party there and I was in Maldives on my honeymoon and uh, DJing. It was amazing. And, um, yeah, then I had my NFT drop and... That was very successful. And Do you want to talk about Paris? When was your first NFT so people realize you've been there since probably before the beginning? My first NFT was in 2019. I did it for a charity, and that was uh, my introduction into the NFT space. Cool. All right, so you got two people that have been here for a long time. Emily, a lot of people are talking about the metaverse, Web 3.0, kind of how it will change applications and how businesses are built can you do a good job of just kind of sharing with the audience kind of what people mean by that and, and why everyone in this audience should care? Sure. Um, so one of the concepts people talk about with respect to Web3 is that it's read, write, own. And I think that that's probably confusing unless you dig in a little bit more. If you think about Web1, it was about read only. So this idea that there was a static web page, ESPN or whatever it was, and, and you consume that, but it is a one-way journey. And then Web 2 was about read and write, which, which is to say that like you might contribute content to Facebook, and there's more connect connectivity between the users. And there was something really magical about the read-write space. I think that what we found with that era, um, as beautiful as it was, is that you, couldn't, you didn't have control over the content that you contributed to that website or application. Um, and so you were the product, even if you didn't know it. And so the journey into Web3 is, is about own and ownership. Um, so it takes all the elements of before read and write, but it's also about ownership. It means that you have control over the things that you contribute, that you can, those are portable, um, that there's tokenization such that you participate potentially in the upside of the things that you contribute. Um, and so it's, it's kind of the next form of the internet, and it's what we're really excited about. We think it's the next frontier. Yeah, that's the way we talk about it with our portfolio companies, that it's, it's, it's hard to imagine how all the use cases of this technology in the future, but the underlying, underlying principles around community and ownership and all the things that the blockchain and crypto and NFTs represent are just too powerful and make too much sense not to be a very big part of the future. So. Exactly. 
Uh, Paris, um, NFTs. So uh, I remember, in full disclosure, uh, I'm Paris's husband, hence that first joke about uh, the low-key wedding and the handsome husband. Um, but it was early in January of 2021. I would fall asleep. Uh, you would spend your nights on, on Clubhouse. You're meeting people like Fluffy Pony and Kim.com, and people were telling you you should burn one of your Birkins as an NFT. Um, and you very quickly decided that this was going to be a passion of yours. Kind of, will you talk about that initial journey on Clubhouse? You know, you talk a lot about the community, finding your peeps, but why, as arguably uh, the one that started everything around influence and creator, why you think NFTs, uh, why you're so passionate about it? Um, yeah, on those late nights on Clubhouse, <laughs> when the world was shut down, I just met so many interesting people, brilliant, creative, kind, um, supportive, and I don't know, just being on there and listening to these people tell their stories and showing their art, and just, I don't know, I just feel like I've found my tribe and my people who understand me and get me, and... I've just made so many amazing friends in this industry now, and I really just love this community so much and how everyone really supports each other and lifts each other up. And um, what was the second part of the question? Yeah, and I think, I mean, you're always talking about, right, just the, how it gives the power back to the creator. You think about your career, so many gatekeepers, but you want to just talk about that in terms of why you're so passionate about it? I think it's just amazing because there's so many incredible artists who are so talented, but not everybody has the ability to get into Art Basel or you know, one of these galleries. So I love with NFTs that it's possible for anyone. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what age you are. If anyone has a talent, they can put it out there and make a living off of it. And I think that's amazing. And one of my friends, Fawocious, he, I mean, he has an amazing story. You know, he went through some very tough times in an abusive home and art is something that really got him through life. And now he's had shows at Sotheby's and Christie's and is now considered like the next Basquiat. And I just think that's incredible. And that was only possible because of NFTs. This would not have been possible in the traditional art world. Um, even with, you know, secondary sales, artists have never been able to participate in that. You know, once it's sold once, they would never see anything of it again. And now till the end of time, they will be getting a commission based on that. And I just think that that's amazing because being a creator and being an artist, I think it's so important to support others. And I just love just how the possibilities are truly endless with this. One of the funny anecdotes is when Paris went to go write uh, Ferocious a DM to say, hey, I love your work. I love listening to you on Clubhouse. She went to the DM and he had wrote a message five years ago saying, you know, Paris, you're my idol. Will you follow me or like me? But that just shows you the power of NFTs and this technology, right? Which was, he was just a high school boy that loved Paris to death. And next thing you know, he's kind of blown up. Uh, Emily, one of the reasons of why I was so excited to, to moderate this panel is it's been well documented that Coinbase is getting into NFTs. Um, can you just talk about uh, kind of what Coinbase is doing in the space and, and why Coinbase got excited? Yeah. Um, by the way, I, I did want to say also, like, there was nobody I wanted to do this panel with other than Paris, because I think that there's a, I think there's this, like, myth that crypto is super intimidating or inaccessible. And I think that Paris is one of the people in the world who, who actually did adopt it early, who did just start playing with things. Um, and that's how you get started in all of this. And so I think it, it's been really cool to see your evolution in this. 
Um, so Coinbase, you know, I think for NFTs, the thing that, that's really cool about NFTs is it's the first really broad mainstream use case, I think, beyond speculation that just became clear, like just, it, it, you, you can feel it. it. It resonates with most people. And so for us, I felt like it was, it was this thing where it was like, oh, okay, like now, now mainstream can kind of get crypto without being terrified of, of what it could be. And Coinbase has always been founded on, on these principles of like ease of use and safety and security. And so that's exactly what we're building the NFT marketplace with. I think there's also this notion of like, if you look back at the history of tech companies, there's an evolution, right? So in the early days, you had like eBay and Craigslist, these classified companies, they, had, they were onto something big it was rough if you look at it now. And then if you look at the evolution of commerce today, and then you see something like Instagram commerce with social curation, things like that, like those are the aspects that help make it so much more usable and, and potent to, to audiences, and that's what we want to do. Um, but that said, I do think it's, we're very early in the NFT revolution. Like I, I'm sure when you've done these airdrops to your fans, it's clunky, like it's, it's a hard experience. You can't just neatly do it and have like a QR code and everything just magically drops in the room and stuff like that. So I'm super excited about the potential of it. I also, I also think it's very early. Yeah, I, uh, Paris recently did a drop and uh, she sold kind of in the first day 25,000 of this kind of entry level NFT. One of the, what we were testing was could she bring mainstream users in? And 65% of the purchasers didn't have a connected wallet. And I always talk about it. Today, we talk about them as NFTs. But I was saying to Emily backstage, when you go to a website, you don't say, ah, oh, that was a great HTTPS colon backslash blackjack experience. You just talk about whatever you read on the website, right? And so, you know, I'm convinced when you talk, to, when you think about MBA Topshop, there's a lot of people that don't know what an NFT was, right? They just bought a digital collectible. That was a sports moment. Um, but I think that's one of the things that's really interesting is uh, how you guys will be able to kind of also bridge it to mainstream of people just, whether they're buying a, a handbag with an NFT attached to it, whether it's a piece of art, whether it's music, they won't be talking about buying an NFT. It will be the technology that kind of underpins it. So, yeah. And do you, do you guys, when you think about it, uh, do you guys think about it as a strategy um, to, I assume, bring in new people into Coinbase versus how much crossover from your existing user base to Coinbase? It, or sorry, it, to NFTs. It's both. So it's definitely a growth strategy in the sense that, again, it's a much broader use case. So I think it, it might be one of those first things where a user might be saying, like, I've wanted to experiment with crypto, but the idea of, like, buying or selling, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum isn't like my cup of tea, but this might be because I actually understand this. Like this means like I get to buy a piece of digitized art or music or whatever it is. Um, but at the same time, it's also an engagement lever for our existing customers who might have come in to buy Bitcoin or might have come in to, to kind of stake an asset and they want to continue to broaden their experiences over time with crypto. Yeah. Uh, Paris, one of the things you did on your last drop was you obviously combined kind of NFTs and in real life, right? In your drop, you were selling art, which you could talk about, but also you were selling or people, the NFTs were attached to fan experiences. Do you want to talk about kind of how you think about it in terms of, again, combining those two things, whether it's in the things that you do around NFTs or, you know, I've heard you talk about uh, the metaverse, right? In terms of everything you can do in real life, trying to replicate it, but kind of the crossover between those two. Yeah, just just talking about why was it on your last drop? Like, why did you add, in addition to the art, why did you add the experiences and that kind of bridge? 
Well, I wanted to make it accessible to everyone. So for the Polygon piece we did, I did it for $11.11. So it could be something that anybody could buy into. And I really wanted to attach experiences to these NFTs. So basically, people could win the chance to come have lunch with me at my house, have a Zoom with me, for me to follow them on Twitter and Instagram, um, to come to one of my DJ shows. So I think it's amazing how you can attach these to anything. It doesn't just have to be art with NFTs. It could be anything from an experience to actual physical items, um, music, sport. There's just so much that you can do with these that it's, it's really incredible. And like I was saying, with Roblox um, and my Paris world I built, we had twice as many people at my New Year's Eve party than they had in New York Times Square, which I thought was amazing. <laughs> and um, then I did also in Decentraland, um, which is another metaverse. I have my genie avatar that went in there and we headlined a festival, Ferocious and I. And you know, just being in these worlds, it's really incredible how you can just take these real life experiences because you know, not everybody gets to go to Ibiza or gets to go you know, to these type of events, but to be able to make them in a digital world where people could just do it from the comfort of their living room, it's just really fascinating. Yeah, I think one of the things uh, when I think about your New Year's Eve and the, and the metaverse was how, right, it was kind of a democratization, right? All of a sudden, fans of yours from around the world that wouldn't have been able to hear you DJ that night were able to, but also how much it replicated in real life, right? People were buying photo ops with you. People were buying backstage passes, um, but it truly is, right? I, like, I know you talk about it, and uh, Emily, maybe I'll get your thoughts on it, but I know Paris thinks there's a world where anything we're doing in, in real life, we will also be doing in the metaverse, but any thoughts you have in terms of when we look forward five years from now, like how we'll think about it, what things will we be doing in real life versus the metaverse or anything like that? Comes to mind? Me? So, you know, I, w I was following that story about the New Year's Eve thing that you did, and I, I thought exactly the thing that you pointed out, which is like this becomes accessible to just a much broader swath of people who want to have aspects of the physical and then also want to kind of bridge into the metaverse. And so to me... The other thing that I'd read about it was just that you had to get a token to kind of enter the party. And I think that the things that you can do with tokenization are just so interesting. And that's where I think this is like going, which is you all of a sudden have, um, as a fan of Paris, like you potentially can get special access to things. You can participate in the upside. Your loyalty means something much more tangible. So to me, that's where I think some of the more exciting aspects are going. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you think about it, you obviously come from the entertainment space. Think about if you had token economics behind a movie and you had all those people posting on Rotten Tomato and tweeting and things like that. But it's similar in the in kind of gaming where it's kind of play to earn, right? And I think it's one of the things Paris talks about quite a bit. The idea that her super fans will actually share financially in the upside is a really incredibly strong idea when you when you kind of think about that. Um, Emily, when you think about kind of mainstream kind of adoption of crypto, obviously NFT has brought a lot of people into this space. Are there other things that you need that you think need to change or other things you think about in terms of how does it become even more mainstream? Yeah, and I, I think we are kind of hitting that mainstream moment because I think there it's like something like 16% of Americans um, own crypto. I think there's like 200 million plus global users of crypto. 
And if you follow the trajectory of internet adoption from the 90s and map crypto to it, it's either on track or, or slightly accelerating relative to internet adoption. So I think that's really exciting. Um, but I do think there's like two big things that are holding it back. One, as we talked about, is like usability. Um, it is, it's still clunky. Like, you know, you think about the early mobile phones that were heavy and didn't have a lot of features, and then you see what they're like today. Or you look at Netflix. Um, Reed Hastings knew that the future of media was digital, but at the time that he founded Netflix, um, if, if you had sent me a two-minute clip of, of something, it would have taken me 48 hours to download it. And so the technology wasn't quite there. It wasn't usable yet. So I still think, again, we're like in the early days of the usability of it. And I think that the, the slicker we make it, the faster we make it, it's just going to go like this. And then the other thing, obviously, is there's, there's still some regulatory uncertainty with respect to crypto. Um, and I think as we get more regulatory clarity, I think folks get more excited about it because otherwise it becomes it's scary. One of the things that I think was really game-changing over the past year or so is just that financial institutions and fintech companies started offering crypto to their customers. To me, um, that's a huge validation in terms of, obviously, their customers were asking for it. And it also is this big symbol to me of just traditional financial institutions moving into this. So it's, it's a validation for the whole space. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting comment when uh, they'll all remain nameless. But when you think about some of the heads at large financial institutions, they've been very against crypto and digital currencies. And then they've basically adapted different things to allow for it because it's too big of a juggernaut not to kind of pay attention. Yeah, I mean, it was funny to me. Don't name names, Emily. No, no, I won't name names, but we heard the rat poison thing and things like that. But it was was kind of like funny just to see even KKR, you know, start investing in crypto companies this year because I remember when I first joined Coinbase, it was like, I I mean, when we were raising the Series E, it it was hellish. It was hellish. And um, I kissed the ground when we got the, the term sheet from a tiger. And now I see, when I see KKR, like the most traditional of firms investing in this space, it feels like this huge mark of validation. Yeah, absolutely. All right, coming down the home stretch here. So maybe we'll just take uh, one last question uh, to both of you. Um, but Paris, you know, you obviously have been ahead of the game when it comes to social media and reality shows and in this space. What kind of gets you excited about the future when you think about digital wearables, the metaverse, NFTs, but any ideas on on what gets you excited about the future of this space? I am so excited. We are so early. There is so much more to come. I've been talking to a lot of people about all of these projects that are working, that people are working on right now that are coming out soon and investing into the space. And it's just super exciting just to see what is possible. And yeah, especially with digital wearables, I'm making a fashion brand in the metaverse. I just had a, since we had New York Fashion Week last week, I had my own fashion week at Paris World. So that was the first fashion week held in the metaverse. So I think it's just amazing to see what is going to happen and just all the new artists that are being discovered and people just having their dreams come true. And I don't know, it's just, it's a lot of fun and I can't wait to see what the future holds. Awesome. Emily, uh, as you think about the future of crypto, Web3, metaverse, NFTs, what's top of mind? Um... You know, I think 
what's top of mind right now is I think about like crypto as a new form of money and financial system and a new form of internet and a new form of um, just social interactions and so on. I, I feel like it's so top of mind to just look what's happening globally right now. And you see um, something, you know, in Russia, just a highly centralized authoritarian government and the like rapid devaluation of, of the ruble. And you see that instantly millions of, of people are impacted overnight and have lost you know, half of their, their net worth because of the currency that's associated with this, this authoritarian government. And then I think juxtaposed against that, you have crypto, millions of dollars worth of crypto kind of flooding the, the Ukrainian government with instant settlement and just things that wouldn't happen in the traditional financial system. So I'm, I'm excited about many aspects of it, but to me, part of this is about just how it opens up access for those who are formerly underserved by the traditional banking system. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, well, thank you, you two, uh, for a very informative panel, and uh, it'll be exciting to see what the future holds. Thanks all. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody.